Hi, good morning once again. My name is Pastor Alberto, and I have the honor and privilege of uh, leading this church alongside our team of elders. If you're joining us for the first time, or if you're joining with, uh, if you're family, joining family here, uh, we welcome you. Thank you so much uh, for, for being with us uh, this morning. Uh, I yesterday uh, we were at a little birthday party celebrating uh, Aaliyah Philman, and there was a lot of little kids playing around. And uh, I told my wife, I was like, "Come on, we have to catch up to the Petries, okay? They have all those little girls. Like, let's let's do it. You know what? Let's let's beat them. Let's go five, six, and seven. And uh, she said no. And uh, I had to sneak in that moment because she's not in this room right now. So when she walks in, I never said any of this. Uh, but but it's such a special thing to dedicate children unto the Lord and, and to be a church that, that really embodies family. So I wanted to thank you all for being a part of this moment and celebrating with us this morning. So uh, this morning we're going to continue in our series through the book of James. Uh, now my original plan was to actually wrap up this uh, almost 12 week long journey through the summer in the book of James as we made our way to chapter 5 last week and I was going to preach on the end of chapter 5 uh, this morning but on, on Thursday the Lord really just paused me and reminded me of this truth that, that I heard studying the book of James earlier this summer and, and, and it's, this, it's this idea that in the book of James, we see five chapters, right? And there's 108 verses. And 19 different times do we see this one specific phrase scattered all throughout the book of James that really displays the type of pastor and community that James is speaking to. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to recap some of these verses that we've already looked over uh, this summer. And I want to see if you can notice the specific phrase. See if you see what I see. So I want to invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to go through these kind of quickly. So if you want to direct your attention to the screen, unless you're really fast at flipping your Bible, uh, that's amazing too. So we're going to look at the first one. James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. James 2.1, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? James 3.10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And James 5.19-20, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, so you might have saw what I saw. We, we read six different verses, and in each set of verses, there's one specific phrase that James says. And he says, my brothers, uh, or my brothers and sisters, as we see that Greek word mean both. And we just read six. There's 19 other verses uh, that, that say this same phrase, my brothers and sisters. And no other book in the New Testament uh, do we see an author addressing his people, addressing a community in that way. And so what we see happening here is that James is putting an incredible emphasis on family. And since we're kind of uh, highlighting and celebrating family this morning, I want to take a moment this morning to answer the question, what does life look like in the family of God? 
What does life look like in the family of God? Let's pray before we go into the Word. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for uh, this gathering uh, that you've allowed us to worship you in word, to to worship you in in, in singing, to worship you in prayer and giving. I, I pray that as we look into this word and we worship you, I pray that you would meet us and transform us from the inside out, that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as you can already see this morning, family, community uh, is very important. It's a big deal to God. Uh, From the very beginning, God had a vision from family that started with himself. We see the Godhead exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so from the very beginning, we see this Trinitarian community uh, living in union with one another. And from this place, God begins to speak uh, order into creation, and he creates man. And he creates Adam, and Adam's having a great time doing his thing in the world. But God says that Adam is still incomplete, that it's not good for him to be alone. And church, you and I realize this. We know this. If there's anything that 2020 has taught us and and months and weeks of isolation and, 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 and being locked in, is that it's not good for us to be alone. And uh, all the introverts are going to email me later, like, nah, I was thriving. Like, being alone was an incredible time. It was so great. Let's go back to another lockdown. Uh, all us extroverts were, were dying inside. Uh, I, every day I was working in a new closet just because I needed a space change. Uh, it's not good to be alone. God created us uh, to live in the context of relationships, to live in union with one another. And that was God's vision, was to create a humanity, to create a people, to create a family that would live in union with one another as they live in perfect union with God and then extend the bounds of the garden, of God's creation all over the earth, creating this perfect humanity that reflects the goodness and the grace of God. And yet we see that moment was short-lived. Because that's not the world we live in. And we get to Genesis chapter 3, and in this garden, we see a serpent. We see the enemy disrupt this union and, and, and tempt them into disobeying God. And through this disobedience, sin now fractures every single fiber in the universe. And instead of experiencing perfect connection with God, Instead of experiencing the best things about God, his peace, his pleasure, his joy uh, in a perfect relationship, now we're living in all sorts of chaos and all sorts of brokenness. And so now, instead of families becoming friends and faithful partners in the gospel, family becomes enemy. We see Cain and Abel uh, uh, express this as Cain murders his brother. And that becomes the story of what family can look like. And this is the story of family that we see all throughout the Old Testament, is that there would be a a community of people who would abandon the ways of God, and in rejecting God, would give themselves over to their own sinful passions, pleasures, and desires. And and the Bible calls this doing right in your own eyes. And any time you do what is right in your own eyes, hear me, you never create a better place. You never create a better world. And if you don't believe me, the whole Old Testament is there to show you that when you do what is right in your own eyes, it only creates death, it only creates destruction, it only creates chaos. And that's the story of family that we see in the Bible. Brother going against brother, sister going against sister, parents going against siblings and and, and sons and daughters, and there's all sorts of brokenness in the household. 
And what's interesting is that Jesus, God in the flesh, is born into this broken world. And he enters into this dynamic of brokenness. So much so that when people find out that he is born, when the kingdom of that day and age realize that there's a baby that's been born and he's checking off the boxes of messianic prophecy, King Herod issues this nationwide massacre of children under two. Imagine being born into those circumstances. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the King of Kings, a baby born in a manger, is entering into a world of brokenness to bring about healing, restoration, and renewal. And as we see Jesus' ministry begin to unfold, we don't just see a God walking among us who is healing and multiplying food and walking on water. We see a God who is reversing the effects that sin has over humanity. Uh, We see a God who is uh, walking and embodying grace, truth, and love and turning enemies into friends and those friends into family. You see, when Jesus comes, he doesn't just come to save us from our sin. You and I know this. He dies on the cross. Uh, He dies for all of our sins, but he doesn't leave us there. Rather, upon placing our faith in Christ, we're immediately grafted into the universal family of God, visible and invisible. Visible being the people that we can see, invisible being all the people that have gone before us who have died in the faith. You are a part of a family that is more real than your earthly family. You are a part of a spiritual family that is more real and vibrant than your blood relatives. And Jesus doesn't just die to save us. Jesus dies to create a family. Jesus doesn't just die to garner and gather a bunch of fans. He dies to form a family. And Jesus comes and he restores the meaning of family. He restores the purpose of what a life in community can look like. And James has a lot to say about this community. Uh, and, and there's a lot that can be said about this community. But for our purposes this morning, I want to focus on three specific things. The first one is uh, that this is a community of common struggles. A community of common st- struggles. Everyone's favorite verse, James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Are you suffering? Are you struggling? Yay, God, everybody said. Not really. It's one of those promises that, 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 that we like in theory, but in practice it really messes with us. And James is saying this uh, not so much as, as a cliche phrase or saying, but rather the community that he's in charge of and he's leading is, is, is this community, this Jerusalem church that we hear about in Acts that has been... Um, Uh, experiencing all sorts of affliction, all sorts of persecution, all sorts of suffering. Um, It's it's worth being reminded of that this was a community of Christians that were being killed for their faith, that their commitment to Jesus led them to a place where they would ultimately die for Jesus. It's a community of faith that their commitment to Jesus led them to experience uh, such a low quality of life as the people on the outside who held the power said, you know what, we're going to evict you. Uh, we're going to close your accounts. Your money now belongs to us. Uh, You have no rights in this community because you identify with Christ. And so when James is saying this, he's taking into consideration the brothers and sisters that he's lost. Uh, He's taking into consideration the friends that have died for the faith. 
He's taken into consideration the families that are sitting before him who he has no real power to help, to provide for, to make space for in his home because uh, James would have experienced that same persecution. And yet he says something that is so captivating, so thought-provoking. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. And what James goes on to say is that these trials and experiences that we go through aren't empty Rather, they're used by God to form us, to make us more like him, to craft something in us that we couldn't craft on our own. Uh, ultimately, that, that, that death uh, isn't the final answer over our life and that there is hope that we can experience joy regardless of what we're going through because we're living for God who transcends all of the earthly aff- afflictions that we might be engulfed in. And James is writing to a community of common struggles. Now, this is important because it really helps regulate expectations. When you enter into the family of God, uh, when you come into community with Jesus and his people, you are entering into a community of common struggles. You are actually facing somebody who's experiencing and going through the same battle of sin that you're going through. Uh, you're actually locking arms with somebody who is trying to overcome the same insecurity that you're drowning in. You're actually looking into someone's eyes who has experienced God's faithfulness in an area of life where you doubt God's faithfulness. Uh, You're actually communing with somebody who's experienced victory over sin in a part of your life where you think you'll never experience victory. And this is a community of common struggles. And what's so amazing about this is that it helps regulate expectations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus And what it means to live in this family. Because you and I both know that one of the most dangerous things we can bring into a relationship is unrealistic expectations. Uh, Unrealistic expectations is one of the most dangerous things that you can bring into a relationship and try to fight for in a relationship because it's unrealistic. Um, and, And if we hold on to these unrealistic expectations, here's what will happen. When somebody disappoints you, you're okay with it if you're having a good day. But when somebody doesn't fulfill your expectations, you begin to reject them. You begin to take it personal. It now becomes an area where um, division can come into this relationship. And you think to yourself, I, I thought I trusted you. I had this expectation that you would always be there for me, that you would always provide for me, uh, that you would always have my back. Okay, you messed up once, that's cool, but you did it again. You can't be trusted. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. Unrealistic expectations are okay when life's going well. But when we're having a bad day, and when we have repeated experiences of failure and disappointment, we begin to say, there must be something wrong with you. Therefore, I'm going to retreat. We come into a community of faith and we say, oh, uh, you're a Jesus follower. Uh, You're never going to let me down. You're always going to be there for me. Uh, You know, you're going to always include me and invite me to everything. And then when you feel like you're left on the outskirts, you begin to think that this community doesn't love you and that they're not welcoming and that they're not as graceful as you thought they were. And we forget that we're all on this journey of common struggle, trying to become more and more like Jesus. And uh, I, 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 I want to remind you that this church is not a perfect church. Uh, it is far from it. 
Um, and and I, am, I, am, I am the case study. I am, I am the reason this church is not perfect, because I am not perfect. Maybe if I left, it would become perfect. Just kidding, because you would still be here, and you're imperfect, and you would carry on the imperfection. You see, this church will never be a perfect church. It will never perfectly satisfy you. It will never perfectly fulfill you. You won't experience the best parts of relationships that your heart longs for because this church wasn't meant to provide that. Jesus was. And so as long as we place our faith and hope in Jesus, Jesus regulates our expectations and reminds us that community is the place where we grow in godliness and we grow in Christ. It's not the place where we find ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment for all the yearnings of our heart. We find that in Christ. And the community that we're engulfed in reminds us of that. Uh, we, we see this in, in, in friendships and relationships. I, I come home and I, 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 I complain to my wife and I'm like, I'm so bored and I'm unsatisfied. I just want to uh, run away because I don't like emails. And she's like, reminds me that, 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 that emails and administrative work isn't designed to satisfy me, isn't designed to fulfill me. Jesus does that for me. And so now instead of avoiding something that doesn't fulfill me, I can come to Jesus and let him fill me up and then work unto the glory of God as he's called me to. It's a community of, of common struggles. Notice he says, my brothers and sisters. G- James never addresses isolated Christians. He, he never says, hey, Brother Thomas over here, man, you got it really bad. Consider it pure joy uh, that you're struggling. And uh, look at Brother uh, Isaiah over there. Man, he is doing so well. He's awesome. And, and, and look at Brother Thaddeus. Uh, Thaddeus is, is, is just doing great. Be more like Brother Thaddeus. He, James never addresses isolated Christians. He always says, my brothers and sisters, because he's emphasizing the fact that following Jesus is not an isolated event. It's always done in the context of community. And so what's so incredible about this is that there could have very well been people in James' community that were thriving that were experiencing economic prosperity. We see him say that, merchant traders and and people going on these uh, expeditions in search of new money. There could have been a community, a small group in this community that were thriving, that were untouched by the pandemic, whose comfort was never robbed uh, by political tensions and racial tensions, that there could have been a community that was just so doing well in their peace and comfort, yet James never addresses them. He always addresses the majority. He addresses the family because following Jesus is not an isolated event. We all do it together. And this echoes the words that Paul says in in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So following Jesus means we do it together. You suffer, I suffer with you. You rejoice, I rejoice with you. You mourn and grieve, we mourn and grieve together. This means that we share our struggles together. We embrace our pain together and we share our experiences. And what I believe that Jesus is calling us to do when we experience struggles and we share pain and we share experiences is to not run away, but to stay. Do the good fight of community. Do the good fight of coming together and letting Jesus do his work of tearing down every single barrier so that we can experience connection. The type of connection that Jesus died for. He's called us to stay. 
That's why, that's why I believe he says in James 5, that you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand in fighting for one another, in pursuing community with one another. I believe God is calling us to stay and to be patient. To be patient. To not leave when things aren't going your way. To not uh, call it quits when your expectations aren't satisfied. To not abandon a community, a group, a gathering because you don't like a certain person. Rather, letting love transcend all of that. And letting Christ's love come inside of us and being the fuel that drives us to live with one another. So why do we do this? So we can grow together. So we can mature together. So that we can see this promise in our lives. James 1, 3, 4. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, an unwavering type of faith. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I believe that I, I believe that the measure of someone's maturity in Christ can be reflected in their commitment to community. I believe this. I believe that the degree that you're willing to invest in community and living and following Jesus with other people, you'll see a direct uh, uh, correlation to uh, your, you experiencing maturity in Christ. Why? Because when you lock arms with another person following Jesus, uh, they reflect to you parts of your life that need to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. They show you areas of your life that still need to be conformed to his image. Uh, when I was a student as a college freshman, I thought I was sinless <laughs> um, because I lived uh, by myself, had no community, I didn't know who Jesus was, and I thought sinners were the worst of the worst who they made uh, you know, History Channel documentaries about. So I've never gone on like a serial killing spree and not as bad as that guy. Therefore, I am really good. And uh, in that place of isolation, uh, I I was exhibiting uh, extreme uh, uh, Christian immaturity. Not that it was uh, a negative thing to be called immature, but rather when I got around other believers, I was able to see that's what following Jesus looks like. Can you show me how to do that? When I got around other people who, who exuded and embodied Christ-likeness, I was hungry for that. And I was able to ask, hey, can, can you teach me this? Can you show me this? Can I get around you? And one of the primary ways that God grows us and develops us is in the context of community, being able to walk in relationships with one another. And it's in that place where we can see accelerated growth in our Christian life. So if you feel like this Jesus thing isn't working for you, if you feel like, man, uh, everything I do isn't working, I invite you, plug into community. Uh, Go all in to being in family. Get around people who are modeling the type of Christianity that, that you are hungry for and ask them to help you in following Jesus. The second thing that we see uh, in the book of James, is that it's a community of practice. A community of practice. James one twenty two says, uh, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
And what we see this community constantly doing is practicing the word. This is the thesis statement of the book of James. James isn't uh, writing to a group of people and encouraging them on how to become a Christian. Rather, he's saying, now that you're a Christian, let's do this thing. Let's really live it out. Uh, Let's practice this word in every area of our life, not just in small groups and, and not just on church on Sunday, but let's share missional responsibility. Uh, let's live for Jesus together. And, and there's something incredible that happens when, when we can practice together is that we're able to spur one another on in the faith. Uh, we're able to practice relational accountability and we're able to share the same grace that God shares with us when we feel like we're not doing too well. When we feel like we've messed up epically. We can see a brother or a sister personify grace and how they welcome us and accept us and love us and encourage us, even when we mess up epically. So why do we need this community? James says we need this community to see. In James 1, 25, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you only hear the word, you're deceiving yourself, because there's much more to it. James says, let's do this, let's practice it. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, this community is called to reflect the gospel to one another. And when we live in isolation and we follow Jesus by ourselves, we're blind. At best, we have very limited sight. And it's being able to be in community with one another that we can actually see who we really are and what God is calling us to be. Um, I, I, I love getting around really good friends who uh, just really tell you how it is. Like, hey, um, do you think these shoes look cool on me? No, man, those are the worst-looking shoes I've ever seen. Take those off. Uh, hey, uh, your breath smells. Take some mints. Uh, or uh, I'm usually the recipient of that one, to be honest. Uh, uh, or, or, hey, do you, what do you think of my haircut? Your haircut's awesome. Not really. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. Like, like being in that sort of tight-knit community where you have, like, these type of, of friends and family that really lets you know how it is. Uh, and my wife has been a gift uh, to me in in that area, uh, I have I have like acceler I, I have been accelerated like twenty years in sanctification uh, through her commentary on my life, and I thank you for it, uh, babe. She lets me know, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. And I was like, what did you see? And, and she explains to me, uh, you know, this is uh, this is what I saw, and it could be perceived as rude. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be rude, and you're always right. Men, wives are always right. I just, just learned that. And, and she helps me see who I am because I'm blinded to what I'm, I'm doing. And I love getting around friends who are spurring me on uh, in, in the faith and who help me see myself more accurately. And community is living with mirrors who reflect to you the gospel, who reflect to you the good news of Jesus, who reflect to you areas of your life that you can't see because all of us have blind spots. And all of us have very limited sight. And so when we enter into a community, we enter into a lifestyle of practicing, modeling, and reflecting the gospel to one another so that we can become all that God has called us to be. 
It's a community of reflecting the gospel to one another. And lastly, it's a community of love and grace. A community of love and grace. Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus comes and, and in the flesh embodies love, grace, and truth. And he displays the kindness and compassion of the kingdom of God. And he also displays true strength and true justice. And he shows us how to live. And in doing so, he, he shows us this love uh, that, that even while we were still sinners, he died for us. And in the life and ministry of Jesus, we see the personification of God's love. God is love. Jesus is love. So when we connect to God, we're connecting to a loving father, not a distant dictator. And Jesus died to get this love inside of us, a community of love that goes the distance, a community of love that expresses a rugged commitment to one another, to be in each other's lives and to live in union with one another, that despite what comes, uh, despite what happens, whatever struggles or suffering, we come together and express God's love to one another and we go the distance in being a community of love. And I'm reminded of a story that I read in a book by Russell Moore called the storm-tossed family. He says, um, commenting on, on the thief on the cross, when Jesus is, is being crucified, we see two criminals on his right and his left side. And, and, he, and he says, if that thief on the cross had any family members who were God-fears, they probably expected that he went to hell. After all, the worst place that one could end up in this life was on a Roman cross. Roman crosses were reserved for criminals. It was, it was a, a form of capital punishment. And that cross was probably the end point of a long, hard, rebellious life. If there was such believing family members, they were probably shocked upon waking up in the presence of God to find the last person they ever expected to be walking in the light of God's eternal grace. What happens in this moment is that Jesus welcomes this criminal, uh, this, this repentant criminal, into paradise. And Jesus says to him, you will enjoy eternity with me. Russell Moore goes on to say, I'm not sure why these handful of sentences arrested me so. I suppose it was because I never thought of the thief on the cross as having a family. And because it reminded, of, it reminded me of just how often I am close to giving up on the people I think are somehow too far from the mercy of God. We're a community of love that goes the distance. And how far does this love go? As far as death on the cross. And James says, as he closes out this book, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I believe that Jesus is calling us to be a community that is willing to go the distance for a brother or sister that is wandering from the faith. 
that, that we're called to be a community that's willing to go into the darkest places of life that our brothers and sisters are swimming in and, and, and be the life vessel that brings them out and, and, and shows them that Jesus is so committed to their life because of our commitment to them. I believe that God is calling us to be this community that goes the distance, that go as far as love will take us to show the great, glorious power and grace of God. And we see this in God's pursuit of us, that he was willing to go the distance for us, that he was willing to go to the cross as a criminal for you and I, so that we could enter into relationship with him and be rescued, ransomed, redeemed from our sinfulness. So that, as Paul says, the New Testament leader, we can be transferred from this kingdom of darkness that we've been feasting on into his kingdom of glorious light. I believe that God is calling us to be the type of people that would be so inconvenienced, that, that would step out of being comfortable, uh, that, 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 that would take big risks and lose money if it means we're the type of church that goes after the one. As Jesus has left the 99 to go after you and I. A community who has experienced the grace and love of Jesus and freely gives it. Freely lives it out. And the Lord is inviting us to be a part of this community, to be a part of a community of common struggles, to be a part of a community that practices the word of God together, to be a community of grace and love. But let's be honest. This is really difficult. Because if we're honest, we love to grumble. We love to complain. Uh, we, we love to sit in the comfort of our own homes and say things like, well, if you follow Jesus the way I told you to, you wouldn't end up in this mess. Or brother, maybe, you know, if you weren't so disobedient, uh, God would favor you. We love to grumble. We love to complain. James calls this out. If we're honest, we don't like to fight for one another. Uh, the extent of our fighting may be sending a text message. Hey, I'm praying for you. I believe God's calling us to more than that. If we're honest, we, 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 we don't create union, we divide. We divide over political preferences and we divide over ideologies and we set up our own hills and, and we live in our camps and, and instead of creating union and unity, we would rather divide over preferences. We're impatient with progress in ourselves primarily and then we extend that to others. And when expectations fail us, we leave. And if we're honest, being a community of common struggle, being a community that practices the word of God together, being a community that exudes grace and love is an incredible, difficult thing to do. But God, but God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who stepped into the most dysfunctional season of humanity, whose life was uh, at risk of death, enters into our circumstances, enters into our scenario, and shows us that when we live for God's will and pursue a life and love of grace, we can see God mysteriously have his hand over our lives and turn enemy into friends. 
and turn friends into family. And we see God uh, capture our lives and our hearts in such a way that our identity is completely rooted and built not on our own preferences, not on our own desires, not on our own expectations, but on the finished work of Christ. So that when your friends fail you, so that when your families fail you, so that when you are extremely disappointed, your identity and your quality of life is not found in what others can give you, but it's found in what God has already given you. New life, new purpose, new joy, new grace in Christ. Jesus dies so that our hope can be found in him. So when other people leave us hopeless and we find ourselves struggling with one another and we're destitute and we find ourselves being uh, uh, incredibly impatient because we don't like the progress we see in our lives and we find ourselves wanting to abandon and leave, Jesus shows us that the best place that we can be is in the Father's hand and in his will. And being in that place, we can experience supreme joy, protection, and pleasure. And so when everybody else fails us, our worth, our value isn't dependent on who they can be, but what Christ has done for us. So you can freely give. Give all the love you possibly can. Give all the grace, all the patience, all the joy, all the mercy, knowing that you live in a kingdom that is not transactional. You live in a kingdom where the more we give, the more the Lord begins to deposit in us, and we're not waiting for somebody to give it right back to us. Are you low on love? Give more love. Are you low on joy and grace? Shower your family and your children and your friends with grace. Are you feeling hopeless? Give hope. And watch how the Lord begins to deposit more and more of His presence inside of you as you begin to represent His kingdom to all the earth. The cross reshapes our life. The cross removes every single barrier of hostility that would keep us primarily from God so that now our vertical relationship with God is restored, we can experience restoration in our horizontal relationships. So your primary way of of experiencing a deeper form of intimacy with God's people and living in community with his family is not by trying to be the best son and daughter you can be. Not by working really hard and making the bed and being really obedient, but by first Letting God's love invade your heart and loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And from that place, be sent, be empowered to live in community and family. Jesus dies so that our identity can be found in the Godhead family and not in our struggles, shortcomings, or preferences. Do you believe this, church? Is your life Found in Christ. Let's pray before we transition to worship through communion. Lord, we praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we we, we praise you that, that you don't just, just die to gather a loose collection of souls, but you die to form a family, a community of people that would live in union with you and represent your kingdom to all the world. And, and, and living in that kingdom, we can experience a new life, new joy, new peace, 
purpose, passion, pleasure, uh, satisfaction that no other family or no other kingdom or no other community can give us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've made this available for us this morning. Lord, we thank you that, that, that if we, when we place our faith in Christ, we're granted citizenship in your kingdom. And this morning, maybe you find yourself in this room and, and you really don't know if you're a citizen in God's kingdom. Maybe you've never professed faith in Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that upon placing our faith in Christ, we're immediately grafted into his family. And so I want to invite you, um, if you want to be in God's family, if you want to be a, an adopted child of God and, and, and live in relationship with Jesus, if, if you want to enter into this life, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of adoption. Thank you for making us your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that your love and your grace would come into these hearts and all of our hearts. And I pray that you would make us more and more aware of this reality, that you are our Father. Holy Spirit, help us to live as your children. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of the church your body that we get to be in community with. In Jesus' name.